You ever have those days where it just seems from the moment you open your eyes that there's just little things peppered throughout your morning that don't want to cause conflict or, or just throw off what would otherwise be a, a, a smooth and peaceful day? Um, those, are the, those are the things where I, I try not to, to get too, too focused in because they want to they frustrate and otherwise complicate peace in our lives. But they are here and they're part of our lives and, and we want to see those things as tools God uses for our sanctification and praise him that he does that in our lives. Um, I'm going to pray again before we get started, uh, mostly just for uh, the, the entirety of the gathering, um, but also for my heart as I feel a lot of distraction today. So I'm trying to push that off. I'm trying to fill my mind with Christ, um, but something is just pulling me aside and, and wanting to keep, keep my affections from him. Uh, so please pray with us and for me and for our gathering as we pray together. Lord, um, we, we need you. Uh, now we need you in our life. The, 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 days, the days are evil. And there is much that would have us uh, and want to take our mind off of you, off of our love for you, and, and the work that we'd want to do to the, the honor and glory of the King. Uh, we are here because of you. We're gathered because of you. And we love you. Uh, at least we want to love you. And that's one of the points today that we reflect on in your holy word is that we don't. We need you. We desperately, desperately need you. Lord, I pray your sanctifying work on our body today as we gather looking up to the heavens for the Christ and then knowing that he abides within. May we feel your presence, honor you as holy, and, and for you to do the work in us as we come on our knees needing you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But we're going to be, as I said, in Matthew chapter 18. We're specifically going to be looking at verses 7 through 9. I'm going to read there real quick as we begin. A woe to the world for the temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. As we continue through our rightful rejoicing and celebrating this Christmas season, working through Advent 
and refreshing our hearts on what was and is the arrival of our King, our Savior, the Messiah. We also don't want to be shallow, chipper Christians. Gift-giving and song-singing and caroling, dinners and games, all great and beautiful things that we have to celebrate with. But the empty chipper sentiment I'm referring to is a mind that only sees a sweet baby in a picturesque manger and forgets the reason and purpose for which he came. That sweet baby we sing about came to die. And the imagery we often fill our heads, stores, and homes with are likewise quite cleaned up from that reality. I'm not sure if you ever hung around livestock much, but a trough where horses and donkeys and cattle eat would have been a very humble, ordinary, smelly place of entrance for anyone, let alone the Creator Himself, to make entrance into this world. But to clear up any misconceptions before we get into the text, this is not a Christmas message. Nonetheless, My hope and prayer for today is that the sermon stirs a deeper affection for Christ this Christmas. We most intensely experience the grace of God in suffering, pain, and other difficulties. Likewise, we ought to glory in Christ's condescension into His creation by having and reflecting on the reason He came. That's to save sinners. I picked this text in prayer while while I've been wrestling with the Lord a great deal about a book of one of the prophets I keep getting drawn to that I plan to preach through soon. I sincerely petition you for your prayers on that decision. Books of the Bible, they can take months and even years to preach through. And the timing, plan, and purpose for the two books of the Bible that you will primarily be hearing from for the foreseeable future is in great part what will be used by us to keep watch over your very souls. So a lot is at stake. Pray that we do this and see the mind of Christ and the decision here. With that being said, let's get into the text today and hear what the Lord has to say. This passage, as we read, Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. This passage is among many here in this book where Jesus speaks to his followers. Matthew is one of the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
which document many of the same events just from their own perspective and written toward a specific type of audience. And one of the important aspects of the timeline here to keep in mind is that all of the events and stories are still in the Older Covenant. Jesus came and lived under the law in order to fulfill the law. This time period is among the generation in which the end of the age came and the final age dawned. For them it was imminent and future, and for us it is a matter of history. The, the specific passage comes immediately following an inquiry of the disciples asking about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who would be the greatest? They too hadn't grasped what the kingdom Jesus brought actually was. It was asked about much by many documented in the scriptures and answered in various ways. And it's unfortunate that for some reason, 2,000 years later, after having the history and full canon of Scripture, many remain confused about his kingdom. The setting of our passage today has Jesus putting a child, takes a child, and putting him in the midst of the disciples and said, if you want to be great, be like the child. In fact, if you have any inheritance with me, you will humble yourself like this child. Jesus took it even further and warned that causing the downfall or stumbling, effectively keeping children from Christ, that a good day for you, would be to have a heavy grinding rock tied around your neck and thrown into the water. This is the weight. This is the type of intensity that Jesus has within the setting of our text today that we're reading. So let's move on. Woe to the world. Woe to the world. It can be difficult for us to understand the depth of what is being communicated in simple words, and this is no exception here. English, particularly, often falls short or even confuses what is being conveyed, which is why everyone that studies the Word of God should seek to understand it better in its original languages. Within the resources that we have available today, there's just really no excuse not to. One of the purposes of expository preaching is to expose the original intent of the author of a particular book to the audience. This gives you and I the most accurate understanding God desires to convey to us, to transform our lives supernaturally by the Spirit with 
the word to the glory of the Father. And the very first word of our passage today encompasses the entirety of the sentiment which Jesus is teaching on. Woe. Woe. Is this like, whoa, man, like you were just surprised by something? Or, whoa, 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 like someone is interjecting a question to something they just heard. No. When Jesus says, woe to the world, this word conveys horror and great calamity and catastrophe. It is meant to express emphatic emotion to the hearers of this word. Whatever subject Jesus is about to teach on and speak about should get the hearers wide-eyed and very concerned about what horrors are coming or came and for who. In our passage today, the disaster is both to the world and to the individual. And the horror in mind isn't left to our imagination alone. As he revealed, it is the horror of the hell of fire. Woe to the world. Woe to the one. Because of offense. The horror directed at and upon the world, all created things, and the individual who is among the created things, is because of the temptation to sin. Temptation here, as we read, is also rendered offense to cause to stumble or to put a stumbling block. The word doesn't have a really good English translation, so you can read through all of them that we have, and all of them fall kind of short. But its root is, is a snare or, or type of trap. These all carry the same meaning, though. Sin is transgression of God's law. Transgression of God's law is an offense, not only against God, but should be an offense to believers in Him as well. Sin separates us from God and is an assault against His holiness. The disaster of hellfire that Jesus pointedly warns about is against those that cause others to sin or are in some way an interference or other diversion away from coming to Christ or straying from Him. He also directs the woe to the cause or temptation that resides within our very flesh. It is. What can this look like? 
It can be as bold as heretical, false teachers, both outside the church and those that creep into the church. In 2 Timothy 3.6, we read, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. We have the Judaizers that teach you must be circumcised to be saved. This kind of snare claims that there is something you must first do in order to be saved. Instead of the truth that grace is a gift of God that is granted by faith. Or you get down to the more practical. Being or surrounding yourself by bad influences. Those folks who directly or indirectly encourage immoral behavior. Lying, cheating, stealing, disobedience, lust. Or how about those R-rated movies? Or shows on Netflix? Well, I'm an adult. It's just a couple brief sex scenes, right? Or that little E next to your songs on Spotify. Offense. Offense. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Lest you think that I'm standing up here with eyes that only see the sin of the world. I did my own confession while writing this very sermon. I make the mistake on occasion of renting movies that seem like they have no reason to be offensive or repulsive. And folks, uh, today we should presume everything the world does will be. But it doesn't even always help to quickly vet something either. Neglectfully checking after the fact, which is what I did, you, you have a movie rated four out of five stars for 16 plus on the family-friendly common sense media. A couple nude scenes, dudes running around naked, a quick scene of a couple girls' sexual morality at a college party. Constant swearing. And that appalling song by Cardi B played multiple times as a soundtrack throughout. Just to name a few. Just a few. Did I turn it off? No. I failed miserably trying to skip forward, mute, make other efforts to censor the abundant crud that filled that movie. I wanted to see it. It's really disappointing because it's also one of those that could have been really good, but it was ruined like many works of art are today. Still, it doesn't change the fact I shouldn't have watched it. 
Did I sin? Sure did. Did my sin cause an offense to others? It did. Am I among the woe to you? Woe to you. Fearing the horror of the hell of fire because of it. And we'll get to that soon. 1 Peter 1.16 says, It is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. In the flesh, we should think, oh, Lord, do you really know the wickedness of our hearts? And the Scripture commands that we be holy? We've just heard the horror from the Lord Jesus' mouth toward the world cursed by sin and the individual that is cursed to die in their own sin. And the hearers present, or the hearers present had, had God's law. They had it. So that they knew their sin. We likewise have God's law and know our sin. You shall not murder. Oh, well, I haven't killed anyone. Jesus says, mistreatment of a brother is murder of the heart. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, I haven't cheated on my spouse. If you look with lust, Jesus says, you are guilty of adultery. No other gods, no idols, no speaking irreverently about God. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. No stealing, no lying, no longing after others' things. And hearing of the offense, his disciples should be thinking, we're in trouble. Who's the greatest? We're in trouble. It makes sense in light of this to hear Paul in Romans 5.20 say, Now the law came to increase the trespass. It came to increase the trespass. We continue through this passage. It is necessary that temptations come. Jesus said it is necessary, necessary that the offenses come. The plain reading of this is that trouble comes. It is simply part of the world and the will of God that evil exists. But a deeper study of Scripture reveals another truth, or as Jesus states, necessity about the purpose of the offense. James 1, 14-15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, that when desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out 
from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. The divisive work of the gospel that Jesus is doing reveals those who belong to him and those that belong to the devil. According to James, temptation is personified as a pregnant woman. Desire draws you to act, which becomes sin. And this sin grows up. And what does it do? It kills you. Sin came to all through one man, but it is not all that die in it. But unconfessed sin brings eternal death. How do we see these people? John says it's evidenced by those that went out from the gathered church. You see, what you and I do, it, it doesn't save us. What you and I do in our flesh, it condemns us. It condemns us. Look at God's law. But what we do also reveals something else. It reveals whether or not we belong to God. Those that belong to Satan hate the faithful proclamation of the Word of God. That's why they labor to corrupt it and to compromise it and those who abide in it. You've likely seen or heard the gatherings, the places where the gospel is absent. Messages are about financial management, relationship building. Messages are about steps to success, how to work through your struggles and be a better you. You won't hear about the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the work of Christ, the hope in the resurrection from the dead. The goats are not always obvious. They hate the aroma of Christ, separate themselves from those who do his work, build their own churches, plop a cross on the front, and keep the true Christ far from them. How do we know? How do we know? Can we? Is it possible? What distinguishes between the two? There are those that are perishing, and there are those that are being saved. God does the work, and he manifests his work in our lives. And the necessity of the offense is to distinguish between the work of God in Christ and the works of lawlessness apart from him. And if you're 
hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Cut it off and throw it away. We really need to take note of the severity of the language Jesus uses here. Remember the context of the severity of the offense against children, whether they be yours or others. He used a practical example of it being better for you to be strung up and tossed into the water to drown to death than to hinder children to come to him. This shows a particular love that Jesus has for children and the influence, for better or for worse, that the older have on them. It also shows a particular judgment awaiting those who cause children to sin. And I would be doing us parents injustice if I didn't warn of the seriousness and the weight of an account that we will give for the lives that he has entrusted to us. And Jesus gets into the disaster. The disaster and wreckage of sin. His word then instructs the response of those who belong to him. How do we deal with it? Cut it off. Now a weird literalistic reading here would promote the idea of self mutilation. Got to cut my hands and feet off. But if we know the prophecies of Christ, the judgment against all men, everyone, and the work that he would do by the Holy Spirit, we, we know that it's the heart that is the offense. It's the heart that needs to be removed. Why is Jesus talking about tearing your eye out, cutting off your hand if it brings an offense? He's speaking to a people who are failing to deal with the very basic cause of their sin. But before we get to a present application of that reality, Let's remember something, that Jesus again, as we have discussed, is under the covenant made with Israel. Jesus came as the Messiah for the Jews. He came unto his own. What was the issue with them? What was the problem, so to speak, with Israel? They had dead, unbelieving hearts. They didn't do good. They didn't want God. And they love their sin. He's fulfilling the law and upholding the work of the law as we read in Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by 
doing them. Cursed. Woe to you. James 2.10 likewise reads, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Try to keep it, one slip. Guilt. Woe to you. Woe to you. This truth reigns throughout all eternity. Is Jesus telling his disciples, do better, try harder, work harder? Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Jesus was showing the work of the law of God. It is to reveal your heart, and the heart is wicked. The law of God is meant to stop your mouth because you're guilty. And it's to point you to God, your judge for mercy. And the message to his disciples here is that they are not only failing to deal with their sin, but they are not even able to stop sinning. He wants them to see the severity of their sin. He wants you to see the severity of your sin. What is your hope? Their hope is our hope. And all who are being saved by God. 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The Father displayed His love for you by sending His Son. The Son of God fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And the promised hope for all ages, all ages, was that God would save all who cried out to Him for mercy. Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. Now what does one do 
when he is saved. We are justified by the works and righteousness of Christ, not ours. The works of Christ fulfilled the law. We're declared righteous by the washing of his blood. His sacrifice. Given a new heart to do what? What now? Love God. Well, wait. Isn't that the law of God? Free from the law to do the law. Yeah, it is. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. For this is the love of God. Leaves no area for uncertainty here. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Our passage today has two applications. It exposes the lawlessness of man and condemns him even further under the law of God. If you think you're a good person and you try to fix up your life, yeah, maybe you admit to not being perfect, but you try. You really try. For this application, the message is, you are not good. You have sinned against God. And you must repent and believe the gospel to be saved. This is Christ's warning for you. This is the woe Jesus proclaimed. Death, judgment, and hell await. For the other, it reveals the children of God who have been set free from the guilt of the law that are now able by the power of the Spirit and a new heart to obey His law. It would be a mistake to turn and look at things from this passage. Things, your circumstances, that are around you that cause you to sin. To go home and rip a TV off the wall, smash it into little pieces. Jesus wasn't encouraging his disciples to rid themselves of stuff. It's not that table's fault. If your hand, if your foot, he's showing that sin is from within. It's the heart that doesn't love God. Matthew 16, 24 reads, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In order to be freed from the corruption of our flesh, we must die. Not clean up. Not fix a few things in our life. If you want Jesus, 
if you have been given a heart of desire for Him, you hear His call, and you want to come to Him, He says, deny everything you are. All your desires. And your very life. Pick up your execution device. Because He demands your life. Not a part of it. And if God has shown you your sin given you a new heart and spirit, and you collapsed at the feet of Jesus, the King, as a rebel and sinner, calling out for Him to save you, you will be saved. And then you will make war with your sin. Romans 8.1 reads, There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You didn't do it. He did it. And what's the exhortation now for those who are in Christ? Do you believe? You want Him you believe the good news? Colossians 3, 5-11 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If you belong to God, see the threat that sin is to your soul and those that you love. It will kill. It will destroy. And because of sin, the wrath of God will be poured out on all creation. And it is only those who are in Christ that will be deemed righteous and escape his judgment. Search it out. Pray for God to show you. Have people in your life that love you enough to confront you in it and then go to war. Attack it like a cancer needing to be cut out of your body. 
knowing that if you leave remnants of it, it'll grow back. Then praise God. Praise God that He not only loved you by speaking, exposing the death that awaited you, but for sending Christ as the propitiation for you. Satisfying, fully satisfying the wrath of God. So that not only will you receive life, but receive it abundantly. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, brother.